Welcome to Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. A Buddha is someone who's awake within the matrix and co-creating with divinity as a soul having a human experience. Each enlightened episode is dedicated to help you level up the energy field of your Merkaba. You can manifest the parallel reality that fits the best version of you. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and does not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host, author Von Galt, and her guest. Welcome to another podcast episode of Merkaba Chakras. I'm your host, Vaughn Galtz, and today we explore what the near-death experiences have to tell us about pre-life planning, reincarnation, and our intergalactic multidimensional souls with author David Such, who's researched over 12 hundred near-death experiences. So let's find out if we all are star seeds and what the heck are we doing reincarnating on earth at this time? So with that, David, welcome to Merkava Chakras. Thank you so much, Vaughn. It's a pleasure here to be on your show. Thanks for accepting. I love the work that you do i love the book and we're going to talk about what you call some black label topics that you haven't really discussed in some of your other podcast interviews so yes if you we'll first <laughs> yeah yeah so um i asked some pretty advanced questions of, of regarding consciousness and creation mm -hmm. so i'm really happy that nobody's thought of these questions so before we get into it please Tell us, how did you get started in researching near-death experiences? Well, it all started back really in 1999. At the age of 34, I came down with chronic tendonitis in my body. It started in my hands. It went to my shoulders, my jaw, uh, my feet. It was worse uh, in my feet and my hands. And it got worse over a 20-year period. And just a couple of years ago, it uh, miraculously disappeared. So here I'm in, in my 50s, and all of a sudden, uh, I went from being in a mobility scooter to uh, walking five to seven miles a couple times a week with my wife. And I'm, I'm real grateful for that. But when the condition was getting worse, uh, back at that time, I was a Christian. And I had been prayed for by dozens of churches, hundreds of people. And I wasn't healed. It was just getting worse. And this is 2007 we're talking about. And I was having a hard time doing my job. And it was really uh, causing some severe depression. And I really thought about my life. I thought about all these people that prayed for me, all these churches. And I, I came to a very painful conclusion. And that conclusion is one of two things is going on. Either one, there is no God. Or two, more likely, and what I tended to believe was there is a God. But, uh, you know, I haven't been a good Christian. I'm, you know, I'm the son that he doesn't like, that he's embarrassed of, you know, because I'm bad. And he's, he's not going to help me. He wants nothing to do with me. And that was a very painful conclusion. And so when I was going through all this, I, I clicked on a YouTube video. And it was a man who died. Uh, he was an atheist. Uh, he had a near-death experience, a, a, a hellish one. He called out to heaven for help and was rescued. 
And that got me started investigating near-death experiences. And before I knew it, I was writing a book and interviewing people and uh, it just kind of snowballed. And, and here it is now, uh, 14 years later, and it's a big part of my life. It's, it's changed every part of my life. And I'm grateful for everybody out there who's brave and talked about their experiences because they really are experiences that if you take them to heart, it changes your life for the better. You know, it helps you uh, sort of embrace love and, and leave the fear behind, which is kind of what we're doing here on this planet. Yeah, yeah. Now, David, um, in your near-death experience, what was the most profound thing that you took back with you, back to your life? Oh, I've never had a near-death experience. You never myself. had a near-death Okay. okay. I've, I, I personally have never had a near-death experience, although... I have to say, you know, when I first listened to a few testimonies online, you, know, you can read a book or listen to somebody online. And that's one thing, you know, you can listen to my words attentively enough. But when you look into somebody's eyes and you see the emotion on their face when they talk about the beauty of the afterlife, you know, you see a big muscular tattooed soldier when he talks about the beauty of heaven, you start to cry. You know, it's hard to deny that. It's hard to believe these people are making it up. And it became very clear that these are more real than this life. So mm. even though I've never had a near-death experience myself, uh, even people who study near-death experiences tend to make the same changes and go through the same spiritual awakening that those who have the experiences go through. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in Buddhism, we always ha- have those conversations of why would you plan that in your experience? Or why did you not plan this? And maybe one of the reasons why you planned, you pre-planned not having an, an NDE was so that it be- doesn't become distractive for you to be an observer and a scribe of all the different NDEs that come through your life for this project. So um, I find that fascinating, fascinating that you have interviewed over 1200 and so you have a lot of scope in terms of what content um, comes through so a commonly understood NDE goes like this okay this is the most common one that most people hear so you go out of the body you see a light or tunnel you get greeted by you know maybe your angels or some kind of supernatural being maybe your family member some some kind of greeting And then you go and you reside in a heavenly afterlife full of exploration. That's pretty much how the most common one that most people perceive are to be. However, after all these different NDEs, you document an interstellar origin to our souls. So with that, are there other planets, universes, and alien species our souls have incarnated into prior to this life and even after this life of being earthly humans? Oh, absolutely. Um, Let me give you a a brief analogy here. You have a child. The child has just learned to walk, is getting comfortable walking around, and can just now barely walk around the house without falling flat on his face. And you're going to take him outside for his first walk ever outside. You're going to take him for a short walk in the park or maybe a short walk around the neighborhood. You're not going to send him on a trek up Mount Everest. That's insanity. It takes an experienced climber to do that. So when it comes to planets, and this is kind of bizarre, Earth is very low on the totem pole in this galaxy. We're very Mm. primitive. Most species are highly advanced spiritually and technologically compared to us. 
but it's the opposite. So just like a brand new driver needs a good car mm-hmm. um, with good brakes and good steering, you know, if you have a beat up old car that's got poor brakes and, you know, it doesn't steer properly and it's got all these problems, an experienced driver can drive it without getting into trouble. So the more, the worst condition a planet is in, the more experienced of a soul you need. So Earth is the most difficult planet in this galaxy to incarnate into. It's only for advanced souls. There's a lot of negativity here. Mm. And souls come here to learn from that negativity, but it's not easy. It's very difficult. So you need a very advanced soul and you have to have lots of lifetimes on other planets. So your first lifetimes are not on earth. You don't come here the first time. That's like sending the kid to go up Mount Everest, you know, just learn how to walk. You don't do that. Uh, So you incarnate into a planet where they're spiritually advanced and technologically advanced, where it's easy. There's no fear, love, duality. There's not all the negativity and you can handle it much better. And then you kind of acclimate to to coming to this planet. And yes, uh, when people have had their life reviews in heaven, some of them are shown other lifetimes, hundreds of other lifetimes. Some are told that in temporal terms, there's no time on the other side of the veil. So, you know, you can have hundreds of lifetimes and you really can't put a time element to it because there's really no time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just an illusion. But if you were to put a temporal element to it, the average human being is over a million years old. We've had hundreds oh, wow. of lifetimes on other planets. Some people remember their lifetimes, especially after the near death experiences. I myself have remembered bits and pieces from three other lifetimes, two here on earth and one on another planet. Mm-hmm. And the first words I ever, the word, first word I ever spoke was bata. Now, I didn't know what that was. My parents didn't know what it was. I just, I said it all the time when I was a kid, apparently. I don't remember saying it. That's what my parents told me. And then mm-hmm. when I was in my 40s, I found out that that's the Pleiadian word for teacher. Well, that's what I do. I'm a teacher. Both my parents were teachers. That's what I'm good at. And uh, so I was probably Pleiadian and I remembered that word. But Lots just, of Pleiadians. Yeah. Okay. So, so I would ask you a question about, okay, I, now, okay I'm going to ask you uh, a question about uh, being a Pleiadian starseed. So, mm-hmm. uh, just for people who are not familiar with the word starseed, a starseed is a pop culture word for basically an a alien soul reincarnating as a human being. Okay, so if you uh, have lived a past life or a future life, or basically they're all existing at the same time, so it's all parallel lives, anyways, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but if you live another lifetime as a eight quote quote alien in let's say the Pleiades okay Mm -hmm. and then you pass on and then you decide to reincarnate and be an earth on or human on earth that's a star seed in Buddhism we just wrap it all into this one category called toku just advanced souls having just various excursions in the multiverse for various reasons but um and and you know who they are they have these very very advanced conversations and very quick grasp of understanding of you know mind-boggling concepts you know they're little kids that come in learning chopin very quickly and they're just mastering it at two or three you know who these people are these are not um infant souls these are very advanced souls just like you were talking about so 
you came from the Pleiades and a lot of people, like I do hypnosis and I do um, consultations with six senses. And a lot of them have remembrances of lifetimes in the Pleiades or in different constellations, in different universes. But the thing of the Pleiades that is common is a lot of them, the Pleiades is so, um, it's kind of like a metropolitan and everything's already set up. And so you have your coaches, you have your cheerleaders, you know, there isn't a lot of ways to ultimately fail in the Pleiades. And then they come here and they don't have any support system and they're going, what's going on? <laughs> but then, and, but some of them have some of these bleed through memories. So um, my question to you is if you have a bleed through memory, a remembrance of a different lifetime as a star seed incarnate, isn't that distractive? Doesn't that get away, get in the in the way of you living this lifetime and this version of activities that you set for yourself? I mean, oh, is, sure, is that why we is that why we like have like amnesia? Well, amnesia is part of the game down here. So, if you think about it, the, uh, there's a couple analogies I like to use. Uh, I used to live by Disneyland, uh, a couple miles away from Disneyland. So every relative or friend that came into town wanted to go to Disneyland, and the company I worked for rented the park out one night a week, and we had mm -hmm. you know eight eight thousand employees or so, and we'd invite our friends and relatives, and we'd and so I'd been to Disneyland you know dozens of times, and I was really bored with it. It was not an exciting place to be. So, um, what if I had the ability to forget that I had ever been to Disneyland and put myself in the consciousness of an innocent young child with no memory of ever going to Disneyland. And then I went to Disneyland. It would be a different experience, completely different, a wondrous experience of joy and exploration. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm an adult again. And I have my memory of thinking that I was a child who had never been to Disneyland. And it's a very good memory. So when you're in the, you know, soup of consciousness on the other side of the veil, you have access to all knowledge and there are no surprises. Well, it's kind of fun. One of the things God enjoys doing is being surprised and you can't mm -hmm. be surprised when you know everything. So we forget, you know, a little, little part of God separates, a little facet of God separates, becomes its own individual soul, incarnates into various human lives or lives on other planets and other galaxies even, and in this galaxy, and it develops its own personality and it kind of forgets during these incarnations that's part of God. Now, on other planets and, and other incarnations, you remember, but this place is a very tough place. And, and so it, it has to involve amnesia. Now, if you think about it, like, what if I, um, what if I was going to be a, a history teacher and I've got to teach about World War II and I have a virtual reality machine and this virtual reality machine can put me into World War II. I'm there. Mm -hmm a foot soldier on the ground, fighting alongside my friends, bullets are whizzing by. Uh, what's missing from that virtual reality machine? It's, it's indistinguishable from reality. What's missing is I'm not scared. I know yeah. it's just a simulation. So part of this fear, love, duality we're working down here involves forgetting that we're safe, forgetting that we're immortal, you know, feeling fear. We have to go into this innocent childlike ignorance and pretend we're not God to have the experience. Very critical element. Without it, well, it's not the same experience. So we might have bits and pieces of memories from other lifetimes, or and some people even have bits and pieces of memories of the afterlife, but mm -hmm. we're here now 
We have to focus on the physical to really get the most out of the experience. If our head's too high up in the clouds and too much into the spiritual stuff, I mean, we're not down here. And we mm-hmm. applied to come down here. We wanted to come down here. It's, it's the fast learning course. Earth is like the, the fast track learning. Yeah, so mm. very important to have amnesia. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can concur. I have vivid memories of, um, of, of sitting in Metatron's uh, school in the spirit world. And I'm like, man, is that distracted? Because I could just sit there and study all day long <laughs> and go through the stuff. And go through, I love the schools and everything else. I love to learn. And I could go through that all day long, but then I wouldn't be living this life. And there's a point that I incarnated for a reason. So um, there is an interest in past lives and going going into hypnosis or going into meditation to kind of tap into your different experiences that you've had as a soul. But um, I think it comes back to the life lesson of balance. We have to have balance. Yes. Uh, balance and discernment to to discern and know that you know there 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 needs to be some boundaries for your curiosity just so that you don't get sidetracked from why you came here and i get a lot of um clients that get sidetracked and they're like i I lost my way (laughs) i incarnated here for to do my mission but i lost my way and i went over here and so it it, it requires okay well let's 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 see where what you're doing and, and how you you lost your way so you've asked the you answered the question that um, we are directly connected to the supreme being known as our lord god source whatever you want to call that the overarching consciousness that everybody is umbrella under mm-hmm. um now let me ask you this aside from living beings like do planets, wormholes, wormholes, universes, do they also have consciousness besides from living beings? I've never heard a near-death experiencer directly say that, except for when we're talking about Mother Earth. So Mother Earth has a collective group of souls that kind of acts as one consciousness, just like we really? have many cells in our body and many organs that perform different functions, but they all act as a single consciousness. Her name is Gaia. Uh, she's somewhat um, stressed by the damage we're doing to the planet. Now, I have heard from the other side of the veil that Gaia is much stronger than our scientists believe. And and I heard this long before COVID and before the shutdowns, which kind of proved this theory, but she is capable of healing all damage that we do to her. So for those out there who are really worried about irreparable damage happening to the planet, we're messing up a lot of stuff. We really are. But it has been told that when we get our act together and we really start cooperating with nature and cleaning up the planet, and yes, we're going to clean up the soil. Yes, we're going to clean up the air. Yes, we're going to clean the water. We're going to attack the the plastic patch in the Pacific Ocean. All that's going to be attacked in future years, and we're going to get our act together. And when we do, she will heal, heal very quickly. Now, I suspect that larger entities that they're all alive a sun a planet uh, a galaxy all has their own sort of set of spirits that operate have consciousness and i've heard from the other side of the veil that yes everything everything in existence has consciousness now there's different levels a plant has a higher level of consciousness than a rock and an animal has a higher level of consciousness than a plant and a human has a has a higher level of consciousness than an animal and so forth 
But yeah, I, I would strongly suspect that that's the case. I have heard that black holes, I heard this from near-death experiencer, that a black hole is the universe's recycling machine. Now, mm. for the details, I did not get, unfortunately, but I, I would say that's probably a big yes, but that's a guess. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. Have you had any um, NDEs speak of the another universe that is, because they've already shown this in science that there is another universe that's kind of collapsing into our universe but it will probably be like maybe like two billion two million years before it does that but regardless um have you had any insight about the merging of the Andromedan universe into the milky way galaxy okay i have heard and i and forgive me i can't recall whether it's galaxies merging or universes merging but that okay. creates some sort of confluence that creates a third one now, that's kind of interesting because it's almost like the process that we see of life created all around us. A man and woman get together and they create a third person. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's like the splitting of, it's yeah. like the splitting of, um, of cells to create a baby, you know, the bubbles, right. and and the I flower heard, of life. <laughs> uh -huh. And I have heard from near-death experiencers that there is countless numbers of other dimensions, each containing their own universe. So for a long time, I thought it was just this universe. And no, there are tons of other universes. And one man who had a near-death experience, he died in a dentist chair after he took, he took Vicodin for back pain. And then he forgot. He took it again. <laughs> that never he, works on me. They put him under and he died. <laughs> but they had to be pretty oh. there and they re recovered him. He said he was shown the relative size of our universe compared to the super universe. Now, let's just back up a moment and talk about how big the universe is. Mm -hmm. I want to give the listeners an idea of how unimaginably huge creation is, okay? Because no matter how hard we try, we can't possibly imagine it. But we're going give to give it a shot here. Give it a gander. Traveling at the speed of light, uh, 186,282 miles per second. We can go around the Earth seven times in one second. All right, that's pretty darn fast. Now, traveling at that speed, if we were to go from one side of our galaxy to the other, now keep in mind, our galaxy is just a pinpoint of light in the known universe. So to go across our galaxy, you would have to go at that tremendous rate of speed, the speed of light, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, seven days a week for an entire lifetime, and then repeat it for 1,200 lifetimes, just across the pinpoint uh, in space that we call the Milky Galaxy. Milky Way galaxy. And now there's this huge universe that has billions and billions of galaxies. And this guy said, our entire universe compared to the super universe, it looked like a tiny little pinpoint. <laughs> I mean, we've mm -hmm. got a, a big family out there. Creation's huge, unimaginably huge. There's yeah. a lot to explore. As a soul, you're never going to get bored. There's always new places to incarnate always new things to, to see and mm -hmm. do <laughs> it's it's like the the best playground in the world yeah yeah but we don't see that because we have amnesia when we get born into this life experience as humans on earth so now now when you know on the other side that when people are reincarnating into a different different excursion i call these life experiences excursions some people pick really bad excursions some people pick really good ones you know or a mix but um so if you have this catalog of all these different universes all these different dimensions all these different type of alien species that you can experience why are 
we incarnating on earth at this time? What's so special that all these star seeds are incarnating on earth at this time? Because well, it's going to be millions of years before that third universe that comes forth from the merging the Milky Way and the, and the, the Dramanin one. All right. Well, I, I like to think of my Burning Man experiences. So okay. Burning Man is a big event in the Nevada desert and about 70,000 people get together once a year. I think it was closed down during COVID, but they're doing it again. And you go on this dry lake bed and you, it's sort of like a, a community of, of art and music and you're not allowed to buy or sell or even trade. Uh, it's all about giving. You contribute to the community. And it's this wonderful experience of openness and creativity and self-expression. And it's amazing learning experience. It really is. But it's also really harsh. I mean, there's some horrendous dust storms. You've got to bring everything. There's nothing there but porta potties and ice. That's the only thing you can get. Everything else, water, everything you need for 10 days, you got to bring with you. And a very common thing is to get to the end and go, oh, God, that was so hard. I'm never doing that again. And you go home and you go, gosh, that was so tough but that was an amazing experience. I got to do that again. Believe it or not, that's what souls do down here. They come <laughs> down here and we go through all this pain and suffering and we, you know, cry and, and, and feel fear and go through trauma and all this difficult stuff, but it's also an amazing experience. And we learn so much and you get to the other side of the veil and you look back and you go, wow, that was a really tough experience being a human being, but it was also awesome. I learned so much. I got to do that again. And you're excited about coming back. So what's happening on earth right now that so uh -huh. many souls are incarnating here? Is it the awakening, quickening, moving to new earth, all these different yes. labels? Is it all that? So there's, there's dimensions. We're in third dimension and we're in the process of moving to fifth dimension. So actually right now we're in fourth dimensional consciousness from what I understand. And fourth What's the difference oh, go ahead. is kind of when fifth dimensional consciousness doesn't have a time element, third dimensional consciousness does fourth dimension. You can kind of shift between the two. You can go to fifth or you can go to third. You can operate in both, but you're kind of in both and neither at the same time. So we're in this big shift. There's a great awakening. So every planet in this galaxy with intelligent life goes through a process. They either learn to live with each other and the environment in peace and harmony, and they become an ascended species, or they destroy themselves through a combination of war and environmental disaster, sometimes through stagnation. It depends on the situation, but they will either destroy themselves or they'll make it. We were on the path to destroying ourselves. It was predicted by many books, Nostradamus, Revelation, there's many doom and gloom predictions. Now, predictions are a lot like, you know, if I see a car driving down the road at 60 miles an hour, I can make a prediction. I can say, well, an hour from now, that car is going to be 60 miles more in that direction. But the car can turn, the car can stop, the car can back up, it can turn left or right, it can slow down, it can speed up. Human beings have free will. So, uh, we can we can do anything we want. And thanks to a lot of help from above and a lot of help from some powerful aliens who are kind of watching over us, we avoided that and we're going to become an, an ascended species. Mm -hmm. Not going to come gracefully. <laughs> I don't expect that yeah, to happen. <laughs> not going to happen gracefully. So there is a corporate government banking oligarchy 
I'm not talking about Illuminati or any of these conspiracies, but there's a, a very wealthy group of individuals. They're not really cooperating. They're kind of cooperating, kind of competing against each other. You know, the Rockefellers, the, the, the Morgans, uh, the, um, Oh, give me some names. You know, the they're, stuck, they're stuck in the 3D games. Yeah, they're stuck. And they're they, stuck in that they, cycle. Right. They want command and control. So they want one world government, you know, new world order where we're kind of basically a slave race. And they see themselves as like the pharaohs of old, you know, born to rule. Well, my yeah. question with that really quick is where yeah. did the, where, where did they get the instructions? Is this, is this, created on their own are they being manipulated by higher beings or lower beings and higher the different beings so they're it, working with it, some alien races so so earth is a free will planet it's the only free will planet in this galaxy and you really only need one it's just yeah. like uh i only need one research lab for cancer because if i come up with a cure for a certain kind of cancer i can share it with the rest of the world so there's only one free will planet in this galaxy at a time and and we're it right now and the rest of the galaxy watched us in disbelief as we sunk further into darkness than any planet had done in the history of this galaxy. We should have destroyed ourselves. And they watched in jaw-dropping disbelief that we pulled ourselves out of it. So we're on on our way to becoming this ascended species. What what, what was the defining factor that pulled us out of self-destruction? Oh, it was a lot of stuff. It was a lot of, uh, okay. For instance, the Pleiadians, what they do is they... They don't blow things up. That's barbaric. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they'll go back in time. They can time travel. They go back in time and they will tweak this or that to to see how it affects their present. And they were very unhappy with their future. They went back in the time. They found out it was something that happened here on earth. Now this gets into real sketchy stuff. Okay. When I What happened in their future? What happened in their future that they didn't like? Give me a a quick summary. I can I could go over that. Now I just want to give a quick disclaimer here. Okay. We talk about our eternal nature, uh the love of the afterlife, uh being part of the super creation. These are all things I've heard over and over and over again from near-death experiencers. And so I'm very confident in those things, you know, the nature of who we are, the core of every human being at the nucleus of an atom is the energy, the love of of God and creation. Okay, so that I'm sure of these things. Oh, I hear little bits and pieces and I kind of have to put it together. So I'm not sure about any of this, but this is speculation based on what I've heard my best guess. Okay, so this is this is bits and this is bits and pieces of 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 research from some of your NDEs. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So information from the other side of the veil. So take so, it with a grain of salt, people. Yeah. So what looks like happened is the global elites were successful with their plans. They started to integrate technology into human bodies. So first we had smartphones, you know, something you carry around with you all the time. And then we get the wearables, the Google glasses, the Apple watch, and then, you know, the microchips, you know, you get implants and we kind of became like the Borg on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And we were very good at what we did. And we kind of partnered up with a a few other nasty species and we were creating chaos in the galaxy, you know? And so they went back and fixed the problem. And a lot of people thought, a lot of species thought that, that what the Pleiadians were doing were too, was too risky. And they pulled it off. You know, mm. <laughs> of course, the other benevolent beings in the galaxy are 
applauding and, you know, thank God, you know, Earth made it. Uh, uh-huh. but, but the dark hats, they've lost and they know they've lost, but they're not going down without a fight. You know, mm-hmm. about a month ago, I knocked down a giant wasp's nest outside. It was hanging from my garage. Mm-hmm. They were mad as hell. And they came <laughs> after me. They lost. I destroyed their home. Yeah. They lost the game, but they were not going to go down gracefully. And so we're going to see all the old systems that we that served us for so well you know corporations and governments and banking mm-hmm. and all these old systems the corruptions coming up to the surface the hidden the hidden negative things horrible things they're doing they're coming up to the surface they're being exposed and as that happens they're going to fail they're going to change or they're going to fail so governments and businesses and banking is going to have to change or it will fail and we saw this in 2008 and there were some positive changes in the banking system and that's going to continue so it's not going to be pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, mm-hmm. who, uh, who's channeled by Lee Carroll, he mm-hmm. used the term uh, suck. Slow, uncomfortable change. <laughs> you know, that's what we're going to be going through. And we're kind of going through that right now. So it, it seems like the end, but it's not. You know, when the house your family lived in for generations and served you very well is uh, rotten wood, uh, the plumbing is leaking, the electrical mm-hmm. salty when it rains outside, you know, there's leaks and water coming in the house and all that. And you got to tear it down because you just can't patch it up anymore. The day you're standing there and the bulldozers are knocking it down to make way for something better, it seems like the end of the world, but it's not. Mm-hmm. The dance of consciousness is one of two steps forward and one step back. That's the, just the way it works. And we're in a one step back phase right now. So things can get pretty ugly, but rest assured we are headed to what compared to today is going to seem like heaven on earth, a utopian society. Um, about 150 years from now, there's no set timeline. We can go as fast or slow as we want, but around the 150 years from now. And what I've been told is that if an alien race were to, that, that didn't know us at all, were to come by today and look at our planet, they would say, oh, these guys are really messed up. You know, they're fighting, yeah. destroying the environment. They've got all these economic problems. Their governments are dysfunctional. There's violence. There's, there's mm-hmm. chaos. There's I mean, there's all these horrible things, you know, it doesn't take much looking around in the world today to see that we're living in a world of dysfunction that's broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they, those same aliens came back 150 years from now, their jaw would drop. Mm-hmm. What did these people do? My God, they got their act together. They made a little. How did they do it? Yes. That's the big, that's the big question is how did they do it? So David, my question about this whole topic of the, Pleiadians um, with reincarnating as humans on earth at this time and their mission is to basically kind of change the trajectory of where humanity was going like the transhumanism um, AI sinking into our biology that whole aspect of it in the future um, causes havoc into um, with the Pleiades and in the galaxy because you have these like basically borg like humans walking around creating havoc because they're disconnected to consciousness and disconnected to source and their oneness of everybody else so um my question is are we headed there because there is a conversation about transhumanism in the current um, medical establishments right now with just different vaccination programs and maybe not even this one maybe in future medicine they'll be they'll be adding it into future medicine where 
um, AI nanoparticles and technology goes into cancer research, more cancer research, brain research, all the different things that, um, that they're researching is incorporating AI nanoparticles and tech into our bodies to address these health issues. So are we already going to go there? I mean, can you clarify? Because you're saying that we're not going to go there, but that's not what I'm seeing in the medical records of the the current research at universities all across the world. Yeah, so that that's a great question. Now, it depends on whose perspective you're talking from. Mm. Because my understanding of this is that the Pleiades, who are our cosmic parents, so when a, a, a species ascends and they stop fighting each other, they start cooperating with each other and with nature, they develop both spiritually and technologically, sort of their next divine homework item is to seed life on another planet. So the Pleiadians are our cosmic parents and the Arcturians are the cosmic parents of the Pleiadians. The Arcturians? Mm-hmm. Arcturians, and they're our cosmic grandparents. So the Pleiadians are the ones who seeded life on this planet and they're kind of watching over us and, and protecting us and so forth. Uh, and they kind of have a policy of non-interference. Um, those who are familiar with Star Trek are familiar with something called the Prime Directive, which is you don't interfere with a de- developing species until they've made interstellar contact. Well, the Pleiadians didn't get that from Star Trek. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Roddenberry got that from the Pleiadians. He was a member of a group of Pleiadian trans channelers that met in the 1950s, and that's where he got his ideas from Star Trek. So someday, yeah. when, the, someday when the Pleiadians do show up and they make first uh, contact, you know, they're going to be talking about the Prime Directive, the Galactic Federation of Worlds, their transporter technology, their replicators and all this stuff, how they don't use money. And we're going to be like, wait a minute, this is Star Trek. You guys are crazy. And they're going to have to tell us, no, Gene Roddenberry got that idea from us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you, let me ask you this about the Prime Directive, because the Prime Directive goes all the way up to consciousness and source itself. I mean, a lot of people who do metaphysical work and um, life coaching and who are tuned into um, the subtleties of like like synchronicities and working with, you know, different beings in life. They know that you can, you can try to change certain things, but if you're meant to have that accident, it's going to still happen. Even if you change the path you go, you don't take the path, something's going to happen to make certain things happen in your life that was pre-planned and is predestined for you. Not everything, but some critical things like you are going to marry this person (laughs) or you are going to have this specific career. This is a big aspect of the must-haves in this lifetime. So, um, and so, you know, interfering with that, um, it's, it's almost pointless because source is going to make certain things happen in people's lives. So uh, yeah. does, does that go all the way up to source too? I don't know, but I know there is pre-soul planning and that people plan the major events and, and so forth. They may even plan certain accidents or certain events that take their life in a di- different direction. But pre-soul planning is a lot like a vacation itinerary. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you stick to the itinerary, but you can always deviate from it if you want. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened in this planning of earth is it kind of didn't go the way we thought and it was developed as sort of a free will zone and a genetic library Uh, as a matter of fact the aliens call this place the the great living library because Mm -hmm. the 
the genetic code for many different kinds of life is contained within our DNA of human beings. And of course, there's a backup. Uh, there's a reason why so many people love dolphins. The dolphins are the backup and their brains, of course, are the only mammals that have a larger brain than a human. Um, so so if, if humans, if humans annihilate themselves, what are they going to be walking dolphins walking around? Uh, no, but they're, but they're, <laughs> they, they have the genetic code within their, their DNA, but let's get back to, to what, um, what's going on. So from yes. the Palladians future, okay, their future, um, it's their present actually, but, but our future, they were dealing with a scourge of several races that had partnered and were just causing a lot of problems in the galaxy. And they were very unhappy with the situation and they don't blow things up. They, they're beyond that. That's barbaric. That's not how you fix problems by blowing things up. So they don't go to war like we would. They would do something called a temporal war. So they go back in time, try and find out what the problem was and fix it. And the problem in this galaxy was human beings, just what you said. We started integrating technology into our biology and we kind of became like the Borg on Star Trek. And there are two schools of thought when a species develops, and that is the integration of technology or the sort of movement towards biology as the best technology. And biology is the best technology. As a matter of fact, uh, they're already coming up with a way to to produce a biologically based microchip. They've already figured out how to store data in DNA and it's very efficient. And so that's coming. But what happened was, is the, the powers that be a couple of hundred uh, or a couple of thousand very wealthy families here that kind of control the corporate banking, um, government oligarchy that rules the planet uh, started integrating all this technology into our bodies. We started losing connection with source, losing connection with our emotions. And we partnered with some other races that, you know, caused a lot of problems in the galaxy. So they found the problem here on earth. So they came back in time. They tweaked the few at this time, at this time yes. or earlier than this time, this general time, you know, this general the, 21st the, century time frame. Okay, yeah. The yeah. couple hundred years surrounding this time. So they, they came back, tweaked some things and fixed the problem. And now we're on our way to becoming an ascended species. So is that why I always get a lot of Pleiadian star seeds as clients? Is it Pleiadian, 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 Pleiadian? Yeah, probably. So Pleiadian, they, they Pleiadian. probably come here to help out uh, this. So there's two ways they, uh -huh. they work with us. One is the souls will directly incarnate here as human beings to help out. Mm -hmm. And the other way is from the Pleiades. So mm. they will communicate with us psychically or they'll give us information, you know, crop circles are a way that, that aliens communicate with us. They're just kind of trying to let us know they're out there without too much hardcore evidence. Cause again, they're not supposed to show up until we've figured out how to travel through the, the vast distances of space, which we will eventually do. Well, so, yeah, I have, I have, I have, I have two deeper dive questions regarding sure. this topic. Um, one, um, with regards to the medical technology that is um, inserting the various means, nanotechnology, microcomputers into our bodies to heal or prevent um, illnesses and injuries, um, is that... Are, that's still going on or is that not going to go on? I mean, are they going to, are they going to dwarf it 
so it doesn't become successful they are okay all those plans were fit the the plans of the global elite will all fail they're failing now they're being exposed you know they came up with all this technology smartphones and the internet and the idea was to be able to monitor control everybody but the problem is just like in guerrilla warfare soldiers are taught to take your enemy's weapons and use them against them that's exactly what's happening so you know you've got a channel Mm. with 190 some odd videos and they're they're all very revealing with some very high-end information so i mean you're you're part of that you're part of this education for the side of the light i'm arcturian that's that's where my original soul came from is arcturian i am not surprised all right so and uh and andromedan I don't go to the Pleiades. It's just too much, too much cosmopolitan for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but here I am on Earth at this time. So before we get into the, that juicy conversation about the different star seeds, so um, who are the devious, evil beings, aliens, whatever you want to call it, demons, devil, whatever, whatever names you want to call these beings? Who are these devious um, aliens that are manipulating the human elites to, you know, try to perpetuate this uh, third dimensional control system? I'm not really sure, but if I had to take a guess, I would say the Orions, the Anunnaki, yeah. and especially the uh, the reptilians. Okay, but, well, isn't know, the reptilians all... native to Earth? They're not native to this galaxy. They were dumped here from somewhere else. But they are being influenced by AI and technology. And just as any species grows and evolves and eventually, you know, comes into the light, they as a species, all the species that are causing problems will eventually change and mature and become more compassionate and loving and eventually move towards a biology-based technology. For instance, in our future Earth, 150 years from now, there's going to be very little technology. We're going to be using biology to accomplish everything. So like if a member of the community gets sick, the other members come around and with prayer and intention and consciousness, we heal them. So there won't be a Mm -hmm. need for doctors. We will be able to communicate with plants and tell them where to grow and tell them what food to grow for us. So uh, consciousness and frequency, basically. Yes, consciousness, frequency. And, you know, Nicholas Tesla said it. He said, if you want to understand the universe, think in terms of energy, vibration, and frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, Tesla knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is a society wasn't ready for that quite yet. Um, no, they considered him a mad scientist. <laughs> but he, he, he correctly predicted cell phones. I mean, he said, someday you're going to have something in your hand that can communicate with the entire world. You know, they thought he was crazy. And he was right. Now, he also talked about transport technology, which we haven't gotten yet. Well, well, let, me ask, let me ask you this. I mean, if, if supposedly the reptilians were dumped here mm-hmm. and, then, and, then, and then they carried on their, their, their lower consciousness games into, you know, into this time frame, wouldn't it be possible that the Anunnaki reptilians, all these other, you know, quote, quote, alien species that are basically found a gold mine of advanced souls that have amnesia <laughs> in this free will planet is like that's like a gold mine like what 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 it's a buffet because they feed off the negative energies yeah so, it's, you it's, know people think there's no way to fight these advanced beings it's like yeah there is the more loving kind compassionate that a human being is they don't like that energy 
Yeah. And if you raise your frequency to a certain amount, they can't even see you. Which, I mean, that baffles my mind to hear that. It's like, what do you mean when you raise your frequency? Well, if you think about it, when a person has a near-death experience and their soul comes out of their body, that's just a higher vibration, a higher frequency. And these people have near-death experiences and they'll talk about them. And, and the people say, well, were you like a ghost? And it's like, no, I was the opposite of the ghost. I was more real and more alive than ever, but you couldn't see me or hear me because I was vibrating in a higher frequency. So when you're at a higher frequency- you Like can, the Celestine prophecy. Yes. So you can see all the lower frequencies, but you're in a lower frequency. You can't go to the higher frequency. And there right. are entire planets that raise their frequency and can no longer be seen or interacted with the lower vibrational species. All right. Now, that's crazy scientific stuff, but. All right. Let's talk about this. The messenger. <laughs> so, Let's talk about this. Let's talk okay. about this because they've been talking about this in Buddhism. This is advanced Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, for people who are ready for that. So let's just go all out into the, the convoluted com- conversation. So uh, now we get into the cop- the topics of what NDEs provide us regarding the multiverse and parallel realities. So I'm going to rephrase uh, this concept that people have heard me discuss in other interviews. But the basic concept is this. Um, we all, this is our avatar that we're playing in right now. But what we really are is we really are energy and our energy has different levels of uh, radiance. Okay. The more conscious you are, the higher, um, I don't know. Frequency of vibration. Frequency of vibration you are, uh, the more you uh, will match up to the frequency and vibration of a different version of reality that Mm -hmm. is radiating at that frequency. Okay, so all those like uh, Dr. David R. Hawkins, uh, when he was live, he mapped out the the map of consciousness. Okay, and he mapped out from zero to one thousand energy field, uh, which is what he says is the consciousness of a human being's body that they could hold. Anything above that, uh, they can't hold it in their body. Um, But he does also say from his his he from his life research that the human body is changing um, neurologically so that it can handle more energy in the body as well. And so basically raising energy in our field of consciousness that we do, the work that we do, um, such as raising your ethics, raising your integrity, living in peace, joy, love, all these positive vibes, not not so much getting caught up between one melodrama and one psyop to another so all of these other things basically it raises our energy fields so that we can perceive these higher beings and they can perceive us and so it's just it's just a matter of, of basic physics and so um you know we call these higher beings what they call quote quote aliens and there are some quote quote aliens in physical form but then there's also other versions of them in light, in energy. There's a lot of different ways that, uh, you know, the Lord will experience its own creations. But if you want to hold people down into the lower frequencies so that you can, so that these lower frequency beings can play with them and um, interact at their level, they have you bring it down into those lower energies of guilt, constant fear mongering and guilt and apathy and, you know, all those negative stuff to keep you in that low state. And so they're just going to hit you with 
one melodrama after another, one psyop after another, after another, so that you never go into those higher energy fields because they know that you are energy. You just don't know that you're energy. And how do you manipulate energy? Through the consciousness of that being, through these different experiences. And so um, so we're all, we're, so a lot of people don't necessarily understand that um, until they start doing their I call it consciousness cleanup and start doing their um, their spiritual awakening works. And then they start having these experiences where they, they call um, what they call Mandela effects. Like, oh, the house next door is a different color. Now there's three car garages to the two. The, 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 the guy next door is divorced. And before he was, he was happily married. So there's these different nuances in their personal life that was not what they directly experienced before. So these are examples of you shifting into parallel realities. Okay, and I get a lot of these clients. Also, I get a lot of uh, clients who will ask, why is my eyes change? I have a completely different eye color or my spouse has a different eye color than they've always been blue and now they are brown. And uh, you go to the pictures and they've always been brown. You know, those kind of weird nuances of reality is starting to shift on them along with um people not seeing them like they'd be sitting there going hey hi you nobody will see them and so um so these are all different examples in buddhism of you getting into um your more mature consciousness okay so now yeah you're you're playing with reality a little more you're seeing this a little more fluid and it all is around your consciousness so what does ndes have to tell us about parallel realities and consciousness because we know it exists oh yeah um i actually thought that i had raised into a higher consciousness level because i went to the dmv here and they were all ignoring me like they couldn't <laughs> see me and i and i said hello am i invisible turns out they were just ignoring me so i was very disappointed <laughs> I hadn't raised my consciousness. but uh, so let's Let's talk for a moment about what our scientists know, and then let's talk what, about what the near-death experiencers say. So our scientists, you know, having nothing to do with spirituality, have this multiverse theory that there are many different potentials and many different versions of, of reality, you know, different versions of Earth. To me, that sounded like crazy science fiction stuff. You know, some scientists did too many psychedelics in the 60s or something, I don't know. And I never really believed it. And then I started hearing it from near-death experiencers. So some were shown the sort of engine of creation, how it cr creates all these different potential realities. You know, we talked about the Pleiadians coming back in time. So when you do that, you create another timeline and then timelines mm. can split and merge and human beings can shift between them. Some near-death experiences were shown other timelines. One man was shown a version of earth where Mohammed died as a child. So there was no Islamic terrorism. There was no um, Islamic religion. Uh, and another man was shown a timeline where the Nazis won World War II. Now I mentioned this on a podcast and one of the people in the comments said, oh yeah, I was listening to the author of the book that they got the TV series. There was a TV series called uh, Man from the Man, High Castle. Man in the High Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it was all about a, a future 
you know, different version of Earth where the Nazis had won World War Two. Yeah. And yeah. So in that movie, people, the man in the high castle, it's Amazon um, uh, created created series. But basically they the Nazis had won, but um, some people were able to find video footage of a different parallel reality where the Nazis did not win. And that parallel reality was much, basically our reality was much more fun and everybody was having fun. Everybody's, you know, like was diverse and intermingling and it was just much more, uh, much more positive reality. And um, the whole premise of that storyline was that Hitler and his minions wanted to get all these videotapes that somehow um, became available in possession of different people and and take them out of circulation because they didn't want people to know that there was parallel realities and that there was a positive reality that they didn't win because if you control the consciousness you control the reality yes so now that's very interesting but this this guy who made a comment said oh i saw the author who wrote the book that the series was based on and that author said when they asked him where he got the idea, he said, oh, I got it from visions of a very of a different version of Earth. So often when we see things in Hollywood, they're actually from real events. Now, the human being may have a subconscious knowledge of it. And so it comes out in their creativity or some guys like this who had a vision or Gene Roddenberry, who actually mm-hmm. heard Pleiadian trans channelers. And that's how he got all the ideas for Star Trek. So, yeah. Crazy well, let stuff, me let me sad. ask you something. Let me ask you something about the Nazis really quick. If uh-huh. you got this in any of your NDE studies, um, there is this uh, proposed concept that that the human elite, like you say, are work are being manipulated uh, because they don't. That they don't they're not tuned into the, the, the higher greater um, picture of all of it. So they're being manipulated by these. Uh, devious quote quote aliens who really shouldn't be playing in this field because this is like it's like somebody PhD coming in and messing with the sandbox of the little kids it's it's really just childish and stupid and it's like why why would you do that uh, on that experiment but anyways so um, but they also are trying to okay so how do I say this there is another reality where the Nazis won and the Nazis won and they they see that there is another reality. And so they're trying to merge realities by influencing other realities to accept more of their paradigm. And so by almost propaganda or um, by media influence through TV, through other things, just chipping away at their consciousness, they manipulate the consciousness of the more positive reality to merge with the Nazi reality. So you get some bleed through. So what uh, did you get any? This is just a, a proposed idea that, that some some people have have um, discussed in various circles. Did you get anything like that? That like maybe the Nazi parallel reality is trying to merge with our timeline and take over, like kind of like a a multiverse grab, I, I like, like a land grab. I, I know that I have heard that when a timeline splits or or divides, it will merge again. And I suppose mm. one of them could become dominant. And, you know, one of the most disturbing things I've heard from the other side of the veil is that most conspiracies are true. Now, mm. the reason that disturbs me is I hear a bunch of stuff. And one of the projects that I heard about 
And I, I spent some time uh, poking through the internet. I really don't know much about it. Never heard from a near-death experiencer about it. But there were three whistleblowers. Uh, I heard from near-death experiencers that if you, if you take magnetic fields at right angles to each other in an argon matrix, you can access different quantum realities. So they had this project called Project Looking Glass. And there was mm-hmm. three different people on the internet I found that talked about this. Whistleblowers over several decades I mean, they weren't, you know, the same time or anything. So I kind of tend to believe them, but, you know, who knows if it's true, but they said the global elite would use this technology to kind of make a decision and say, okay, we're going to try doing this and see what the outcome is. And they've been very good at manipulating mankind and where we're headed. Now, whether another reality is trying to merge and become dominant in the merge, I, I don't know, but I do know that like uh, one of the whistleblowers with Project Looking Glass, who was brought in to fix it, uh, they were the global elite were very concerned because they're no matter what they did past a certain time point, the result was the same, which was they lost their power and humanity became an ascended species. And yeah, because we, Earth is raising her energy. Yeah. So everything's coming up. You either have to fix it for the better. So, or it's going to come up and disintegrate. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's energy. Right. So they, they shut it down because they didn't want to hear that. So they're going to just keep fighting. Um, but, but one of the things that I heard that really helps me, you know, because there's so much information out there and there's it, some of it's kind of scary when you hear about parallel realities and, you know, aliens mm. here and visiting us and, you know, reptilians, you know, influencing people. It's crazy stuff. I mean, probably is true, but it doesn't help us to focus on that, you know? So it yeah. really doesn't- Distractions. spend their lives, yeah. They spend their lives focusing on conspiracy theories. They find out something that's true that's going on and they try and expose it. Well, all the dark stuff's going to come out naturally. Mm-hmm. It's going to be exposed. It's going to be dealt with. And so those on the other side of the veil- they don't want us to focus too much on all that negativity because it really doesn't help move us towards world peace. Yeah. So the best way you fight all this crazy stuff is you be the best possible version of yourself. You can be, you know, mm-hmm. every kind act, every generous thought, every unselfish deed creates a vibration and that vibration, because we're all connected here on earth, humanity is all connected. We're connected with all of nature, with each other, with everything. That goes into what new age uh, spiritualists call the crystalline grid. Now that's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's not crystal. It's not a grid, but it's an energy network that connects us all. So when you bring hope or joy to just one soul, millions receive the vibration. Mm-hmm. And when near-death experience is asked, how do I change the world? It's not fighting the aliens who are influencing us. It's not trying to fight the global elite who are doing all these things. The way you change the world is by one act of kindness, one act of compassion at a time. You mm-hmm. treat somebody a little differently and it helps them, makes them a little bit better of a person and they have a little better day and they treat everybody around them a little better. Love is so much more powerful than darkness that it doesn't take much for, for the energy, the frequency mm-hmm. of love to dominate. I have been told by near-death experiencers that there's this battle going on and it's really only going to take, there's no set number. Uh, 
but it's really going to take about less than 1% of society to mm-hmm. be awake and aware like you are mm-hmm. to be living in love. It just takes a small percentage. And when we get to that tipping point, the rest of society will follow. That's how powerful the frequency of love is. The frequency right. of compassion. Compassion is actually our specialty on this planet. It's the highest vibrational expression expression of love that exists. Compassion. Really? Compassion. Compassion. So yes. one of the things that's okay. really meaningful to those on the other side of the veil and near death experiences have been told this is when we're purposefully kind and compassionate to people, even when our ego tells us they don't deserve it. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, you know, some when the ego says you don't deserve this. This is a true story of a guy. He was uh, an owner of a small convenience store and a young man was coming in there and he caught him stealing. So he held him at gunpoint, you know, you're stealing. He said, well, what are you doing in here stealing? And he looked at the stuff the guy was stealing and it was milk, bread, stuff like that. You know, just some basic staples. He's like, why are you stealing this? He says, well, you know, I haven't worked and I, I need to feed my family. Now the guy, this owner could have called the police. And what he did is he said, you know what? If you need food, you just come in here. You don't have to steal. I'll give you the food you need. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of compassion that changes the world. And that guy's going to go out and he's going to be a different, more compassionate person because of what that liquor store owner did, what that convenience store owner did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it just spreads. It's, it's what they call the ripple effect, yeah. you know, and, and you've probably experienced it. You know, somebody puts you in a bad mood and then you interact with your your children or whatever, and you're in this mm. worse mood and it affects them. And oh, I pay people's groceries all the time at the store. You're, you're, you're down $10, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. And that kind of <laughs> yeah. act of love is so important, you know? It, I mean, just the way we greet people, you know, the way we greet people is so important. You know, when I go into the bank, you know, some days if I'm in a bad mood, I'm just cordial. Um, Hi, how you doing? Fine. And how you doing today? Fine. I'd like this one. Okay, thanks. Great. Have a nice day. But you know what? When I go in there and I smile, hey, how you doing today? You know, I've seen you in here. You're working a long shift today. Oh, yeah. You feeling all right? Yeah. What you doing for the weekend? Just smile. I even, uh, if I'll run across a waitress or a cashier in the store who looks really tired, you know, I'll say, uh, listen, you know, I, I used to have a job where I worked on my feet all day. I remember how tough that was. Now, you look like you're exhausted. And I just want you to know that I really appreciate your service, that you're here. And, you know, if it's a waitress, I tell them, you know, really, uh, or a waiter, you know, I really appreciate that you're working so hard on your feet all day so I can come and relax and have a nice meal. I'm really grateful for you. And just to see the way they light up. I yeah. mean, you can really put energy in somebody's day just by being nice to them. Yeah. And that's the power we have. That's the power we have to change the world. It's changed by one kind, compassionate thought indeed at a time i love that i love that and you know for for those people who it might be part of their pre-life plan or life work to expose some of these um devious acts uh it, it might it might be a contract that they have going between you know these different entities to expose them oh, so, yeah. that, so that they can be found out and so that oh, yeah. um you know it can be addressed you know, it's uh, so it's kind of like you hide all the candy underneath the rug, underneath the rug. And at some point, somebody's going to come up like your big sister or big brother and just take it all out. And then you're, oh, no, you know, you uh, you freak out. So for for there might be some kind of soul contact between these people. Oh, yeah, the so some people have a uh, 
some people yeah. have a whistleblower contract. Yeah. They, yeah. Their, their goal and their duty here is to be the whistleblower. It's very few people. Very few people. But for most people, most people, it is just to raise consciousness, bring those higher frequencies. Now, let me ask you this about higher frequencies. Let's say 1% or more of the world's population are in these higher energies of consciousness. Um, and we know in Dr. David R. Hawkins' um, map of consciousness work, life work that he did that people in the higher energy fields offset millions of other people. Like one person in the higher energy field will offset like almost a million people. And, you know, if you get 1% of the world's population, that will offset most of the world's population. Higher, bring them higher up into um, into higher energy. So, you know, we were talking earlier about the transhumanism aspect, and I've done episodes with various energy healing modalities to clear your body of nanotoxins and clear your body of illness and help you heal faster, self heal faster, etc. But in terms of consciousness, if one percent of the world's population are in these higher energy fields. Would it create a a mass energy healing throughout the whole planet? Like, would it, it like it would, would it, it would clear people? Would yeah, it I'm create would it create a massive energy healing surge throughout the whole population of Earth? I would say indirectly. How so? Um, but first, I want to address something you said that I really liked. You said one person, you know, living in a higher consciousness is, is more powerful than millions. I've heard that from near-death experiencers. They say one person oh. living, they were told or shown in heaven that one person living in unconditional love is uh, more powerful than millions living in fear. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm sorry, what was the uh, second question again? So if 1% of the world's population ah, yes. are in these higher energy fields of consciousness and they're yeah, each, deal. yeah. And they're offsetting 99% of the negativity and by being themselves, raising everybody else's consciousness of further away from those um, lower fields of um, energy that is feeding off, being fed off by these devious quote, quote, elites and aliens that are manipulative. Yeah, it's it's going to cause a massive shift. Yeah. Is so, it, okay. So is it going to be a mass healing, uh, it, like a mass energy healing of people's bodies? I mean, you know, because it's people who are sickly and is it going to heal the population? Oh, I don't I, know exactly how the mechanics are going to work, okay. but there our scientists are aware of the phenomenon. So it's called the hundredth monkey mm-hmm. uh, phenomenon. So what they found is when they looked at these islands, I think in the... Uh, in the South Pacific area where these monkeys were separated by, by these islands, uh, they would eat the fruit that fell from the trees. It would fall in the sand. Well, one group of monkeys learned to wash the fruit in the water so that it wasn't sandy when they ate it. And when enough of them learned that, all the monkeys on the other islands started doing it because their consciousnesses are connected. So when you have a small percentage, and it's less than 1%, that is what we need, of people who are high consciousness, living in, in unconditional love. And I'm not talking about being perfect. We all have our bad days, but I'm talking about your general aura, your general, you know, uh, vibrational state. It's going to cause a massive shift and there's going to be massive healing because when mm. the energy and frequency, when a person's spirit is in balance and healed, it manifests that healing into the physical. 
So one of the common things is when people come back from their near-death experiences and they were mangled in an accident or there was some sort of trauma in the hospital, uh, these are very common, you know, surgery gone wrong or whatever, and they come back, they heal very quickly, miraculously quickly. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because their spirit is in balance and the spirit's just like a projector that projects an image into the physical. So when your spirit is out of balance, it's going to come out in the physical in terms of sickness and pain mm-hmm. and chronic disease. And when your spirit is in balance, it very quickly heals the body. Now, doctors are aware of this phenomenon. They give it a name to dismiss its importance. They call it spontaneous remission, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think when, when this happens, when there's a great shift, when the, instead of the hundredth human the, or the hundredth monkey, the hundredth human, you know, we have enough humans who are, uh, who are awake and alert and alive to the consciousness of God, the consciousness of love, the consciousness of who we are at our core, there's going to be a massive shift. And that massive shift in consciousness will then create a cascade of massive healing. And then of course, the power of human beings and prayer and intention can also heal. I love that. So so yeah, it's, it's going to, the exact mechanism, I don't know, but it's going to cause a, a great healing. There's not going to be sickness on the future earth. There's yeah. Not sick people. They will be healed by the community. You, you know, this, this, this is a really um, advanced concept for a lot of people to understand is, you know, like, like what you said, um, compassion is the highest energy that uh, in creation, right? Well, in order to have compassion, there needs to be duality so that suffering that sorrow those dramatic you know bottom pits in life well if you didn't have that you couldn't have the grace of compassion okay all right so this human experience which is an advanced course for very ancient souls to dive into this experience um that's like saying that that's like like giving somebody okay you are ready for the double-edged sword how will you use it okay (laughs) (laughs) because you can use it to really destroy yourself or you can use it to really create wonders so um so i love that you that that your near-death experience research shows that what they report is compassion is the highest energy in creation. And the only way to get compassion, um, accelerated compassion, is a planet such as this, where you have free will, you have good, you have bad, you have suffering, you have everything. And you have the ability, because of the suffering and the sorrows and the, and the pitfalls, it creates an opportunity to have courage, to have grace, um, to even have forgiveness. And, and, and acceptance. So how can forgiveness, which is like letting go and acceptance, allow us to learn from these difficult soul contracts that we have and move beyond them? You know, how, I mean, are there good contracts too that people go, get into? Can you talk about these contracts? Soul contracts. Okay. So, yeah, so soul contracts. Have, have described the process of pre, pre-life planning. So they, they pick a, a life, they pick their parents. You know, we say we don't pick their parents. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you picked your parents. So, you know, cut them some slack. You picked them. <laughs> you know, and there was a reason you picked them. 
Hmm. So I love what you said. It's that fear love duality. Without it, it's really hard to get that fast course in compassion, isn't it? Who's more compassionate to the man who's homeless and starving? The man who's walking by in a business suit and his uh, briefcase, and he's been rich and wealthy all his life? Or the man walking by in a business suit with his briefcase, and he's been rich and wealthy all his life, but he used to be homeless. He suffered and knows what it's like. Who's more compassionate to that homeless man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? So we learn compassion by this fear love duality. We learn to become better people through suffering. There's a story in my book called The King's Son. And there was once a wealthy king, a benevolent king. He was good to the subjects in his kingdom. He cared about them. And he spread the wealth around. He tried to help it. There was mostly poor farmers in this kingdom. But he was doing his best to help them and to be kind to them and to be a good, benevolent king. And his first son was born and grew up in the royal castle. Mm. And he had servants to obey his every command and to satisfy his every whim and every wish. And because he was in this pampered lifestyle, he kind of grew up spoiled. He got used to getting everything he wanted. And he never really suffered. And he didn't have much compassion for the subjects of the poor. He was just mm -hmm. a spoiled, selfish prince. And the king realized, my son is not fit to be king. So when the king had a second son, he brought him as a child, as a newborn child, to a family of poor farmers. And he said, you are to raise this prince as your adopted child. You are never to tell him that he is a prince. I will be back on his 18th birthday. And that young prince grew up on the farm. He learned to rely on his adopted family and his brothers and sisters and he suffered sometimes. He worked long, hard, back-breaking hours in the field. Sometimes they went without food. When the situation was particularly bleak, the king would send his men in the night to leave them food. And when that young prince turned 18, the king came by and explained to him, you are a king. You are a prince and you will be king someday. And he brought him back to the royal palace. And that young prince became a benevolent and kind king. He said please and thank you to his servants. He appreciated every meal that he ate in the palace because he remembered what it was like to go without food. And he had such love and compassion for his subjects because he was one of them. Yeah. And the 1987 movie Overboard, um, mm -hmm. this comedy that kind of describes it in the same way. This, yeah. This rich woman bumps Another her Cinderella head. story. Yeah. She, she, but this rich, spoiled woman bumps her head. This poor guy convinces her that he's his, that she is his wife and she lives in this poor environment. And when she comes <laughs> out of it all, remembers everything, she's a different person. Mm -hmm. She's kinder and gentler and more compassionate. Okay. So this fear, love duality is just like uh, when you're trying to rock a car out of the mud mm -hmm. you go backwards. So you can push it forwards more, you know, you go down and dip down in the fear and then you go further up in the love, dip down in the fear, a little further up in the love. It's this game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and what I've been told is that these physical lives where we do this throughout the universe and creation are the engine of growth of creation, mm, the engine mm -hmm. of growth of God. So even though they're tough, yeah. we're fulfilling a really important role. We're like on the outside of the fractal of God where the new growth is like a, yeah. like a tree is a giant fractal, you know, the trunk uh -huh. grows and it splits and keeps splitting. It's a fractal, and, but its leaves are on the outside. It's where the new growth is. That's physical life. Yeah, we're the freak show experiment. 
on the side, and then when we bl- blossom, we'll reconnect <laughs> with the other trees. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so how about how about this? Um, let's talk about the void. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So um, in in the Bible, on the chapter in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, they talk about the void. Okay. Um, and that the birth of creation comes out of the void. And we have the same concepts in Buddhism. We call the void nirvana. That's the blissful spiritual emptiness of source that you are part of and you you connect to um, when you basically aren't playing any other games um, within creation. And creation is what we call samsara. So same thing, Genesis, nirvana, samsara, same thing. But in Eastern philosophies, the void it's not a scary thing to be empty of identity, empty of ego, and just be exist with source, with basically being like a blue screen of nothing, because that blue screen with ones and zeros, you can create anything you want in creation. But can you explain the void um, in terms of NDEs? What do NDEs offer in terms of getting over the fear of the void? Yes, the void. I have heard about the void quite a bit. So actually, one of the very common near-death experiences is to be in that dark void and Mm. then to come back into their body when they revive. So the way I understand it is on the other side of the veil, they set up something called quantum fields. And within these fields, anything that we think can be created. Now, one of the things that near-death experiences are told is that thoughts become things and it's instantaneous on the other side of the veil. You uh, put your hand out and you think of a white light, you know, close your eyes, you think of a white light forming an apple and an apple appears in your hand. Well, it happens here on earth too. Thoughts become things, but it's a very slow process and it requires physical action. So if I wanted an apple, I would have to walk out back and pick one from the apple. That's good. That's good. But if I have the intention... Yeah, a lot of people, if they can manifest instantly, they a lot of people live in fear and paranoia, so they would manifest like really horrible things if it was instant. So it's a good thing <laughs> on Earth. Yeah, so now I've heard near-death experiences going into this void, and some of them don't know they're dead or they're very confused, mm. and they start going in the fear mode, and it becomes a very negative experience, and it builds mm. on itself because you're creating the experience. And at some point, they will often say, well, I'm dead, obviously, and I'm in this void. There's nothing I can do about it. And they calm down. And when they do, the experience immediately becomes positive. Mm. So I've heard a lot of near-death experiences describe this dark void. And if the near-death experience is extensive enough, at some point, the, something will get their attention behind them or off to the side. And it's a little pinpoint of light and kind of what you described earlier. But yeah, a lot of people talk about the dark void. And some arrive there. And they're not freaking out about the fact they're dead and they're perfectly calm. And they describe it as an overwhelming peace and Mm -hmm. love that they've, you know, just this tranquility that they've never felt on earth. Yeah. Yeah. And and some people, before they even get to the light, which they describe as really loving, they say, well, there's so much love in this void. It was like this kind of love I always wanted to experience and and never quite could. And I, it Mm -hmm. was there and they're creating that by their consciousness, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, um, this void, this this direct void connection with source where you're egoless, you really have no identity. Um, it's kind of like you stripped off all the costume and all the clothes of all the different lifetimes and different excursions that you've gone through when you enter this void. Um, 
this void is also discussed in hypnosis. In a lot of hypnosis cases, a lot of meditation, um, where they'll describe, they'll, they'll describe the same exact thing, the void, like, like the void in Genesis, Nirvana in Buddhism, that you know, just different names for the void. But it's always the same overarching um, consciousness of the oversoul or the, or the Lord. And um, this, this basically this emptiness of just like nothing. So, um, okay. So that's something for a lot of Western viewers to, to try to grasp that the void is not so scary from these NDEs. Now, what about judgment day? What insights do NDEs provide us about judgment day? Because there's in the West, they have the concept of ju judgment day. In the East, they have the concept of life review. And the concept of life review goes something like this. When you pass on, every single person that you interacted with, um, you experience how you interacted with them and how you made them feel directly as them so every single person that you you influence uh, every single person that you express compassion to forgiveness every person that you um you know bestowed bullying or hatred or negativity on you experience all that you create as them as you and that and so when you have your life review if you created a life of havoc you're creating a lot of havoc if you mostly created and expressed um, compassion and forgiveness, acceptance, all these other emotions to other people, you're going to you're going to experience firsthand the fruit of what you sent out to these people. So it's like the life view is just like, oh my god, my heart is just bursting of love, <laughs> so much love. Dang, this girl gave so much love. I can't handle the love. Or it could be the opposite. Oh my god, I'm just. I, I can't believe I lived my life like that. I felt everything I did to everybody. That's the Buddhist concept of Judgment Day. It's a life review. But then you have the Judgment Day of, of like, you know, like of judgment in the West of being um, like judged, like in court and just being punished. So can you clarify what NDE's insight have about this? Well, okay, I, I don't want to offend the Judeo-Christian people. Um... I'm probably a mixture of the ideas of Buddhism and Christianity and then some other religions thrown in there. And there's parts that I think each religion kind of does a better job at understanding. Judgment Day, I don't, I don't think the Judeo-Christian religions do a good, too good of a job at that. I think the Buddhist philosophy is, is much closer to reality. And it's because of the near-death experiences. So I think it's about a fourth of the near-death experiences I've heard include a life review, maybe a fourth or fifth, something like that. But let's talk about judgment day. You know, in the Bible, there's a talk about a judgment day. Mm -hmm. I think these, uh, this is a, something that human beings do. We take human concepts and we project them onto God. Now, what I've been told, information from the other side of the veil over and over again, is the creative benevolent source of everything that is that we're a part of that we call God does not have judgment or anger or even expectation. It has hopes. You know, when you, your child is born, you hope your child decides to have a good life and be productive and, and happy and, and, and have meaningful relationships and fulfill their purpose. You don't want them to become a drug addict or a, you know, a, a criminal and, you know, you have hopes, but not expectation and the creative benevolent source only loves it simply loves in a way that can't even be described with human words 
I mean, one person said, imagine the strongest love you've ever felt in your life and multiply it by about 500. And that's what it feels like. Another guy said, imagine the 100 happiest moments of your life and put them all into one moment. You don't come close to what it feels like when you stand there in the presence of creation and you feel that light and love and it just brings you to tears, mm-hmm. you know? So judgment, no. Now they do put you through a life review. So again, about a fourth or fifth of the NDEs I've heard include a life review, and it's just what you described. In this reality that we're in, you are used to being one person, one consciousness, you, me. I only experience life from Dave Such's point of view. I don't feel what other people feel. Well, sometimes I do, but not from their perspective. So in this life review, some people are taken through highlights. Others are taken through everything they ever thought, said, felt, and did. Now, it's not like having to live another 80 or 90 years over again. It's, it's, some people describe it as a panoramic life review. It happens very quickly. And in this life review, you re-experience what you did and felt with a difference. You also experience it from the point of view of everybody around you as if you were those people. So I'm going to that's going to be, that's, it's kind of trippy. Huh? So one guy, and, and there's no judgment from the people watching. I mean, one guy was going through his life review and he shot somebody else and he was very upset. You know, the judgment is the person themselves. You know, they're the harsh judge. The, the ones watching the life review, they have high hopes for us. You know, they want us to, to choose love and not fear. They want us to act out in compassion and kindness and not cruelty and selfishness and manipulate. You know, that kind of makes them sad. Uh, but there's no judgment from them. And so this one guy commits a murder. He's all upset. So they stop for life review. And these beings, that spiritual beings that are with him says, well, what's wrong? And he goes, I just killed somebody. And they said, you're doing fine. He's like, how can you say that I killed him? And I said, well, you didn't kill him. He's here in heaven. He's going back to earth. It's fine. He's fine. You know, don't stop, stop worrying about it. So they don't judge us, but uh, I'll give an example. One guy got in a fist fight. He was a bully, got in a fist fight with another guy. And so there he was in his life review, beating him up again. At the same time, he was experiencing it from that guy's point of view. He was that guy. He felt his nose break. He felt his teeth breaking. He felt every one of the 34 blows. And now good or bad, you experience what you, you know, what other people felt in reaction to what you did without intention. All right. So if I give you a compliment and you misinterpret it as an insult, Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel all those negative feelings, even though I didn't mean it Mm -hmm. or vice versa. You know, if I say something mean, but you, you misinterpret as a compliment, I'm going to feel those good feelings because you thought it was a compliment. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's to teach us to be kind to others, to, you know, our words, every word, that we speak to another human being has an effect, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And so now the question becomes, well, what, what do I want to do with my words? Right. Do I want to harm and insult and be mean to others? Or do I want to use my words to uplift and encourage? So these people, you know, one lady, she, uh, she was headed off to work. And this was in the days before cell phone. She's having a life review. And it was an incident she forgot about. It was back east where there was snow. And this one lady was stranded and she needed a jump start. And uh, so this woman going to work, you know, saw her and like, oh, I'll stop real quick and give her a jump start, but I'm in a hurry. So it gives her a jump start and then hurries off to work, doesn't even wait to be thanked. In her life review, she experienced it from the point of that woman. Now mm. I remember back in the news when I was a kid in Ohio, you know, in the in the 1960s and 70s, 
every year somebody would freeze to death when they got stranded. I mean, you could die if somebody didn't help you. And mm-hmm. this woman was out there for a long time and she was getting worried, you know, nobody's stopping to help me. And all of a sudden this angel comes by and gives me a jump start. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you, know you give a meal, to, you know, you're eating a sandwich and uh, you give your meal to a homeless guy. You know, you don't think anything of it. And in your life review, you might experience it from his perspective. I haven't eaten in two days. And this woman came by and gave me a sandwich. Oh my God, it was so good. Mm-hmm. And some people, you know, the first near-death experience I ever heard, Howard Storm, he was kind of a tyrant. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of these guys who are always yelling and controlling others. You know, you're, you're like he enters the room and the tension goes up. Yeah, you, maybe you've had a boss like that. A lot of bosses can be like that. And uh, they had to stop the life review because he was so upset. And they had mm-hmm. the angels that were with them had to shine tangible feelings of love and acceptance and, and he didn't want to continue and he says no that you got to continue you've got to see this uh, another guy who had a life review uh, he was uh he was in the army and uh he got ordered to go to this i think it was in the vietnam war to, to go to this building where these uh north vietnamese officials were and and they they had to kill their their uh task was to kill this one north vietnamese army official Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get a clear shot. So after a few days, they, they decided we're just going to detonate the whole building. You know, it's all North Koreans in there. We don't care. So they blow it up and they're laughing about it, you know, and he's having his life review and he experiences the ripple effect of what he did, the pain of all those people who died, the wives, when they, you know, knock on the door, I'm sorry to report this man, but your husband died in explosion. Their children, their grandchildren, yeah. us talking about it. They're experiencing us talking about it. Yes, the kids. And the opposite is true. You know, like this guy who had done that, he had two life reviews. So after his first life review, you know, it changed him completely. And he worked in hospice, to, you know, caring for the elderly. And he, you know, when he went through his second near-death experience, he had life review and he had his, he got to the part of his hospice work where he's being kind to these elderly people. Some, some of them didn't have any visitors, you know, and he was the only guy that talked to them. And he just tried to make them as comfortable as possible. It was really nice to them. You know, he said it was like emotional fireworks. He felt all their good feelings from these people who were stuck in these beds. You know, my own relatives don't come see me. And this, this, this male nurse is coming and, and he cares about me. You know, oh, I, I feel so good. And he felt all those good feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what did I learn from this? Revenge is impossible, right? Whatever devious, you know, no matter how justified, I'm not getting revenge. I'm going to have to feel that someday. Screw that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it changed the way I react. A lot of times, you know, something on the road happens and I just go, I'm, just, I'm going to let this go. Guy's having a bad day. That's know? why I always say, David, that, um, it, you know, it, if there's going to be punishment for some of the 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 injustice that you may have done whether it's something simple as cheating or something as as serious as murder you kind of want to do your term in this life because then you at least get the opportunity to repay or to make amends or to you know help with the grieving process you know try to patch it up because then you're going to have the life review and then beyond the life of you, at some point, you are going to reincarnate again. And you're going to have to do the same life lesson all over again. But next time, it's going to be so much harder. Yeah, so, do that. They'll yeah. say, okay, this lifetime, I want to experience being uh, scammed or cheated in some huge way. 
really screwed over and harmed. And in the next lifetime, they may say, I want to experience the one doing the harm. And you learn from both experiences. Everything we experience down here, whether negative or positive, eventually brings us towards a higher vibration, a higher consciousness. Uh, I'll give you a, a little example. You can teach a child to not touch the hot stove two ways. Mm-hmm. You can teach him a pleasant way. Every time he goes to touch the hot stove, no, sweetie, don't do that. You're going to get burned. Mommy wants you to stay safe and you smile and give him a hug and, you know, be good. Listen to mommy. And that's pleasant, right? And he learns over time. Now you can teach him in an instant never to touch the stove through a negative experience. <laughs> you let him touch it one time and he's not, not going to do it. <laughs> but they both, it teaches them. All right. Yeah. If, if I'm a, a brand new human being, you know, let's say, you know, you can create a grown human being from nothing and they create this grown human being with a consciousness. And now I got to explore food. And I, so I try a bunch of different kinds of food. Well, when I eat food that I don't like, I'm going to go, okay, I know to avoid that kind of food. And when I eat something I do like, I say, I'm going to eat more of that, but I learn from both what I want. Yeah. That goes in, that goes into the conversation of, of, of the dual nature of the good and evil. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's a lot of different conversation and a lot of traditions about the, you know, the dual nature of good and evil and its purpose. And, and not to, not to, um, to wipe away quote, quote, evil and negative doing because there, you need to set boundaries. And the sooner you set boundaries, the sooner you learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, it's like raising the bottom. You don't, do you really have to go way down there to learn the lesson? Can you at least raise it up so that the lesson is still learned, but not so much suffering, but anyways, to each their own life lesson. I get that. Um, you know, it may be part of your living, you know, soul experience, but there's that concept of do evil. And the, the, what you're, the analogy you gave about the stove is very much like darkness, for example, can drive a soul further into ego, greed, lust, etc. Okay, and, and have those experiences. And then from having those experiences, they can be burned so bad that it rushes them into the light. Okay, or they can it can drive them from the darkness because they have recognize what they are not from that experience and then run further into light so almost like if you spook a kid strong enough about what they think they want and they realize that's not what i want they're going to run further away from it it's it's like it's the burning in yourself burnt so bad that you have not just muscle memory but you have so consciousness memory of it and then you never want to do it again so let me ask you, let me ask you, I have two more questions before we close out. Let me ask you about hell. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, we know that life can be a self-created hell or it could be a self-created heaven. And hell is wherever you are in your life or in the afterlife. Hell is the absence of love. So what do you have to say about the concept of hell in terms of NDEs? Well, I kind of like what they said in the uh, movie Defending Your Life. He says, uh, there is no hell, although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is hell? So hell is just what you said. It is not a punishment. It's not a sentence. It's not a permanent state. People think, you know, I, I was taught as a Christian, you know, you go to hell and you get burned forever. Wait a minute. I thought God loved me. 
yeah, you God loves you, but if you don't obey him, he's going to burn you in hell forever. Well, that doesn't sound like love. <laughs> you know? No, that's not, it's not a punishment. So at some point, a soul may decide to disconnect completely from source, from God. And it's not really a disconnection. It's an illusion of a complete mm. disconnection. Mm -hmm. And it's absolute fear and absolute terror. Now, if a soul is in a very negative state, they can create that in the afterlife. But when a soul is ready, every soul eventually comes home. Mm. And the purpose of, it, of experiencing it is to grow what you do like. You know, I mean, the, the best food I ever had was not in a, in a five-star restaurant. It wasn't a gourmet meal. It was two pieces of uh, wheat toast lightly buttered. And the reason that was the best meal I ever had is because I had come home to my apartment after, I won't get into details of why this happened, but I hadn't eaten in two days. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you experience the absence of what you want, it's that much better, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So you, you experience the complete disconnection from God when you're back in that love. Oh my God. I mean, near-death experience will describe this, they'll describe being in, in God's light as it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life it was the all it was the everything of life is to know that love and of course they get to it and they can't describe it in human terms so the word mm -hmm. love is completely inadequate to describe it i believe that elation i mean i think when you're in heaven you do feel love but i think that intensity of like oh my god that was just like me when i came home after not eating for two days i think that is unique yeah. to the near-death experience and it's a perspective that souls learn by disconnecting completely. So I believe an advanced soul, at some point, if a soul is growing and on this path to becoming an advanced soul, they're going to want at some point to experience disconnection, to experience a hellish environment, which is complete dis disconnection from source. And basically, yeah. it's an environment designed to be as scary as possible. So you choose connection to love. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so you you so we're going back to the the kid having to touch the hot stove in order to yeah. know never touch the hot stove yeah ah yeah. that's that's good you know i want to i want to um add two nuggets um for this this segment about uh about you know compassion and judgment so you guys compassion is love in action so all these different examples that we've been discussing is love in action and remember you it, you can't express love in action unless there is no love there so those negative experiences that you you come across if you have the ability to express love in action you are expressing the the most powerful emotion and energy within creation and earth provides an abundance of opportunities for that. The other thing is about judgment. Because we all do this every single day, all throughout our day. We'll come across this or that on the TV, on the internet, going to the grocery store, whatever. And you see something or you hear something and it triggers you. It, it And you know it triggers you because it, it creates this energy in you that's kind of frustrated upset you know all those negative feelings like oh that's a trigger if you are seeing something and it triggers you emotionally triggers you and you know what it feels like you are practicing judgment okay and that is a sign i'm giving some buddhist tips here um, that is a sign that you have something inside you about that specific 
perspective that needs to be worked on and addressed. And so if you work on and address it, then you see that again and you don't have any emotion about it. It just, it just kind of passes through you. Then you know you're no longer triggered and you no longer have judgment on that, whatever it is that, that triggered the event that triggered you. So I do this throughout the day all the time. If I come across something that, that triggers me and I feel that icky emotion, like, ugh, I'm like, oh, I, there's something inside me I need to work on. And as soon as I work on it, I can see it over and over again. It doesn't even trigger me at all. I don't really care, you know? And, and so then you can be objective of how you react and how you choose to react. So you're not being so easily manipulated because the people who are so easily triggered are easily manipulated. Okay, so just just a word of advice. Now, in terms of word of advice, David, what is the last message that NDEs want us to know from the other side? It's all about love, but I think as a last message, I want to bring one little part that NDEs have taught me, sort of a concept that I've heard. There is a new paradigm that mankind is not aware of. There's been an old paradigm on this planet for a long time. Competition, fighting for resources, fear. I might not have enough, you know, survival mode. I'm in survival mode. In survival mode, you snarl and growl and bite anybody that threatens your survival or tries to take your resources. And then you might snarl and bite and growl to try and take somebody else's stuff that you want. Yeah. We have cutthroat competition here. There's a new paradigm. There is enough for everyone. With our ability to mass manufacture, with our technology, and a 10-hour work week with about half the population, we could feed, clothe, house, provide medical care for everybody on the planet, including those who are too old, sick, weak, or unwilling to work. There's going to be some coming chaos. You don't have to let the chaos affect you. Nobody has to let that chaos affect you. You can have the world going crazy all around you and be in perfect peace and harmony with you and your life. So my advice is turn off the news. The news is nothing more than a well-crafted fear report. My world is, is the world I live in. It's the people I interact with on a daily basis. I don't need to know about the chaos of an entire planet. Human beings, the human consciousness was not meant to take on the suffering, the chaos, and the drama of an entire planet. So turn off the news. Leave yourself at home sometimes. Go for a walk in nature with a friend. Slow down. You know, and as we go through our lives each day, and we're going to fail a lot, and that's okay because we're humans. You know, if we were perfect, if I was perfect, you'd have to call me God instead of David. We're not perfect. You know, we're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Cut yourself a lot of slack. Cut others a lot of slack. Do your best to be kind and compassionate and loving and considerate of others as you go through each day. And it's time for us to leave the fear behind, to forget about the cut rate competition and, and the horrible ways we treat each other and start loving the world into the paradise it was always meant to be in the first place. And it starts with each individual human being trying to be the best, kindest, most loving possible version of themselves that they can be. And it's not like turning on a light switch. It's a long process of what good is a newborn child 
They can't work, they can't contribute, they can't do anything that's meaningful to society in any way, but they grow up and they make contributions. And we're just children, spiritually speaking. And we're finally starting to grow up. So, you know, we just all need to be patient with each other, especially the ones who are acting out. They're the ones who need the most patience, you know? Um, and I love just that. know that you're safe and loved and protected no matter what happens. So David, let me ask you, where can people get your, your book, God Took My Clothes? And then can you discuss about your spiritual counseling work as well? Sure. Uh, you can get God Took My Clothes at any of the major online bookstores. It's $11 for the paper book, $5 for the ebook. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Walmart, eBay. I mean, I'm basically anywhere where you buy books. Now, some people in the Far East that you mentioned a lot of your listeners are from, maybe from India, won't be able to get the book. I cannot give out free copies of the published book, but the unpublished version, which I own the rights to is almost identical. So if anybody wants it uh, and because they can't get the book, they can just send an email to book at godtookmyclothes.com and put free book in the subject line. And I will mail you an Adobe Acrobat. It's a PDF document of the book. I also do spiritual counseling services for people who are going through a spiritual awakening or need guidance. I am a certified counselor and my rates are 120 an hour, but I do free sessions or donation-based sessions for those who have financial hardships. Uh, one of the things I said in my book is we have to abandon this dangerous notion that labor can only be given in exchange for money. So, you know, a laborer does deserve his pay. I mean, you have almost 200 wonderful spiritual videos on your YouTube channel and you hopefully get some advertising money for that. But then anybody who wants to see them for free can, can watch them. And I think it's wonderful that we can cooperate that way. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Was oh, <laughs> the other thing, David, also is um, if they do want the physical copy of the book just for the, themselves, because some people want like the copy, they can in Asia and, and other countries that doesn't have, uh, that you don't have the book rights to, to give to they can still buy it off of Amazon, right? And they will still mail them a physical copy. I've been told now, whether it's true or not, but I've been told some in some countries they can't get my book. So oh. I've mailed it to various European countries and various Far East countries and some people in the Middle East, they can't get my book for whatever reason. Mm, and there's some places okay. Amazon doesn't ship to, so. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so, uh, anyway, go to the website and email you and then you'll send it to them as well. Yeah. Now, of course, you can splice this back in if you want. Mm. If you live in a Spanish speaking country and you speak Spanish, apparently that's a different book. And so the entire Spanish version of my book is on my website, godtookmyclothes.com. And if you want to check out the book before you buy, you can go to the website and download the first couple of chapters of the, the book in English. And if it's to your liking, then you can get it. Or if it's not to your liking, then you don't have to you know, waste $11. So. Hopefully that'll well, help. It's not a waste of $11. I think it's fabulous. Um, awesome. People are going to love reading the book and also following your work. So you're still so young. So you still have a lot of good stuff coming out of you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All I right. feel I like I have a lot of work left to do, but it was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back sometime. And I really appreciate and honor the work you're doing to bring the good message of love to the rest of the world. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you. It sounds like we're, we're in for a Star Trek future. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Uh, well, I guess the Borg turned out pretty good because they had um, they had a real group. But hopefully it is, is, is as wonderful as what we've seen on TV. So I had a blast discussing the Buddhist concepts of Nirvana, Samsara, the Wheel of Dharma, reincarnation, as it pertains to starseed souls and your research in NDEs um, in your book, God Took My Clothes. So please do come back and bring us more insights um, from your extensive research. And again, we barely scratched the surface of this starseed toku mission to explore the multiverse and raise consciousness into higher dimensions so that we can it, communicate and interact in that Star Trek future with all the different beings. Um, so again, for more information about David Such's offerings, please visit his website, godtookmyclothes.com. And thank you kindly for listening to another enlightening conversation. Until next time, blessings. It's a pleasure being on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to MerkabaChakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension. Until we meet again, blessings.